0: Good morning. Sorry, a little delayed there. We were just chatting. So I'm like, oh, yes, I guess, we, I guess we're supposed to be doing something this morning. <laughs> it's just so wonderful to be with our friends. So, um, yes. So I am just here to um, welcome our dear friends, um, Chris and Kathy. But truly, like, we could just sit there and talk all day. So. Uh, but then, obviously, we're not going to do that. For your good, uh, but anyway, I. Whenever you're in a journey, which we are all on, right? Um, hopefully, we're on a journey, which means we're moving. Um, one of the most valuable and grace-giving aspects to a journey is who you're journeying with. Okay, right? It makes all the difference in the world. And these two have been um, true partners and friends for my my 25 or so years. And um, it's the kind of friendship where you don't have to be with them all the time, but the moment you see them, you're just all just right back to where you were the last time you are sitting and chatting. So I just welcome them today. And um, I just felt during worship, man, I just felt like I'm just a little shaky. Um, I just felt like Jesus came in the room, and because I know he's always here. You know what I mean? We're not begging for him to come. He is here. But I felt like he just, um, I don't even know how to describe this. I just felt like he opened up his robes to us today and kind of led us into a deeper, more intimate place with him. And um, so I'm just a little bit trying to catch my breath from that. So I hope you felt the same thing, that just that welcoming embrace of the Father and, and Christ, so it's been good. So welcome, Chris and Kathy. So good to have you here.
1: Wow. Hi. The um, worship experience was amazing for me if you weren't having a great worship experience, you should check your salvation. <laughs> check your salvation. I'm a little bit loud up here. I don't know if you can tell. Sorry, I'm not trying to tell the sound man what to do. <laughs> you don't want to tick off the sound man, I tell you. I've done that before. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it is uh, such a privilege to be here. And uh, honestly and earnestly, the worship was, for me, just opened a door. I felt the door, things closed and another thing open and Clarity come and it's like there's a real, you can feel it, right? There's a real spirit, like a, a kind of revelatory anointing in the room, and I could feel it just flowing uh, from the team and, and onto the congregation, and I was really uh, creating hope and beauty and peace. So, um, okay, what are we going to do? I'm going to pray first. Holy Spirit, thank you for me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I always have to be funny. I, I just bless what you're doing in this congregation, and I, I bless what you're raising up here, a worshiping, um, a, a worshiping people, priests to the Lord and to the people, and uh, reformers to the, to the land, to the cities. And I pray, God, for you just to open up Revelation today, even as I see and talk and speak, and for them, too, that they would hear and listen and change. And we, we bless this day. Amen. Uh, let me just do something practical first uh, so I, I don't forget. Um, these, uh, these, there's, we have a book table back there. We actually don't have room for those books, and we haven't sold very many. So we need you to buy them, please. Even if you don't read them, like give them to somebody who will want to read them. Um, but uh, this is called Spiritual Intelligence. I, I brought this last time I was here. Uh, this is, uh, I was going to say, my uh, newest released book, but next month. Uh, we're releasing a book called Uprising, The uh, Epic Battle for the Most Flawless Generation in History that comes out next month. So uh, this is my last book, though. This is really good. Spiritual Intelligence, The Art of Thinking Like God. And this is about spiritual intelligence, the art of thinking like God. (laughs) I'm kind of trying to make the titles coincide with what you get inside now, you know. Uh, So it's a real uh, change of uh, idea. Um, Who would like this? Awesome. Okay, why don't you, can you give this to somebody? or how are, I don't know what the, I should know. I've been here, coming here for 20 years. And uh, this is, uh, I'm really excited about this book. This is Kathy's book, her very first book, and the book that we've been, you know, tormenting her, encouraging her to write for a long time, The Good, the God, and the Ugly, The Inside Story of a Supernatural Family, which is basically our family and uh, people come up to her, and maybe some of you, for years, like we've been traveling for 25 years, and say, you know, we'd love to hear your side of the story. And uh, and she probably has, I don't know, at least 5,000 prophecies about writing a book. Okay, maybe a few less than that. But people come up to her all the time. You're supposed to write a book. I saw you writing a book. And so she finally uh, wrote a book. And, uh, and I was the editor, which is very interesting. I was the first editor. She's had, she, you know a professional editor, but so she's writing the book, and I, I, I read, I'm I reading it and editing it, and I'm like, hey, that's not how that story went, <laughs> and she's like, no, that's how that happened. <laughs> we actually had this. We, were, we actually had, we would have debates about it, and then I said, well, I have that in another book, in a diff- and it, it has different way, and she's like, well, you should get that book back and edit it, <laughs> so we went back and forth, and she stayed with her story, and this is a beautiful. Um, this is a beautiful book about the way that she experienced, saw, and, um, and, and um, perceived how we were moving forward in, in our life. And then and, and she wrote lessons on each thing. Each chapter has, like, lessons learned and how to apply it. So it's a really good book of stories, but it also has a very powerful thread of how do you work this out in your own family? Who, who would you... Cool look at all the books we 're going to sell today. This is so encouraging. you want to pass that to someone? Thank you um okay, we already prayed right Yes, we did pretty cool we uh last week i, I it's not relating to anything i 'm doing today but last uh, Saturday, Sunday night I preached and after I preached, the preach wasn 't that great but I started to Gives a few prophetic words. And I had this picture while I was preaching, which was really disturbing, which was one of the reasons why my preaching wasn't, well, at least I have an excuse, why the <laughs> preaching wasn't so good. I keep having this reoccurring uh, vision of people being hit by lightning. <laughs> and I'm like, I wonder what that means. So at the end of my <laughs> preach, I said, hey, has there anybody here been hit by lightning? There were 600 people in the room. And I thought, <laughs> probably, you know, probably not. Two people stood up. They'd both been hit by lightning. What are the chances? And I didn't know what we were supposed to do with it, so I thought, you know, do you have problems from being hit by lightning? Do you have, like, ongoing problems? And they both said, nope, we're fine. <laughs> anyway, so I gave them this prophetic word about being hit by lightning, but I just thought it was so funny that the two people in the room had actually been hit by lightning. Like, how many of you have been hit by lightning? Anybody in here? Yeah, that's my point right there. <laughs> pretty, pretty funny, just the way the Lord moves. Um, I, I want to uh, talk to you about uh, something. This is more of a prophetic uh, word than it is a teaching, which is usually what I do when I'm here. Like in my church, you know, I, I'm tasked often with just teaching, you know, teaching the word in, in our school and often on Sundays. But um, but often when I come here, it's more like a prophetic sense that I'm supposed to release. And I actually shared this with our church on August uh, Tuesday, August 30th, which was, what, not too long ago. Um, I, well, first of all, before I tell you about what what happened, I I, I need to set it up for you. Um, do you guys would you guys know who Michael Maiden is? Okay, well, I, I didn't either two years ago. Anyway, he's a prophet that has a, a church in Arizona and a really powerful man. We've brought him in now three or four times. You guys should have him in, by the way. He's incredible. He's incredible preacher, incredible uh, prophet. He actually gave us a prophetic word. Uh, two years ago, that um, he from the podium, he said, "I see a man. He's a he's a uh, he's a businessman. He owns a tech company, and he's going to buy you a building, and he's going to give it to you for your for everything you do that has to do with technology." And a year later, we were negotiating. Bethel was negotiating for the old Shopco building in our town, which is 132,000 square feet. It's been closed forever. One of our guys said, "Hey, we should go buy that for our online schools because we have." Now this huge team, we have 800 students online just in one school. We have 500 students online in another school. And, uh, and so it's, our team's growing, and we're, we've got no place to put them. And we're building a great big building, but that's like four years away. So anyway, we were negotiating back and forth, and basically nobody wanted to sell to Bethel because <laughs> Bethel's taking over the town. And, <laughs> and one of our guys said, hey, you know, we should have someone, you know, like buy this in their name. And, and then we could rent it from them or lease it from them or buy it from them because we were, anyway, the short story is we talked to this business guy. We didn't even remember the prophetic word. Nobody remembered the prophetic word. It was actually done privately uh, in another meeting that I wasn't in. And so uh, the businessman, I'll, I'll shorten the story. This tech business guy who owns a tech company bought the building, said, I'll lease it to you for 10 years, then I'll give it to you. And so that just happened. Like we just bought the, he just bought the building, just gave it to us. And then uh, right after he gave it to us, a month later, Bill finds this prophetic word that Michael Maiden gave to us that said, someone, a tech guy is going to buy a building for you and give it to you, which happened exactly one year later. So, I mean, and this, this, this guy's super prophetic. Anyway, uh, I just made a short story long. Jeez, this is (laughs) what preachers do, right? So, uh, Michael Maiden's story is, is that he had a church in Arizona. This is like 15 years ago. It became a mega church, 6,000 people. Start, he planted it in his home, grew to 6,000, 7,000, some thousands of people. And, uh, and then his uh, CFO embezzled millions of dollars. And the outcome of that, and I will shorten the story, the outcome of that is he lost his entire church. Media went after him, he lost his reputation, lost his church. And down the street from him was another megachurch. And that mega church pastor hated Michael Maiden and used to use him in his sermons all the time for like 10 years. And so anyway, so Michael Maiden lost his church, was kind of in the wilderness, trying to figure out what to do with his life. And the Lord told him, I want you to start again. This is, uh, this is like, I don't know, five, eight years later. He starts a little church. It grows to 1,200 people like overnight. And the building that the, um, and then the guy, the guy who was preaching against him down the street that had also this huge, beautiful building, that guy, I, I, he, uh, he retired. And when he did, the the church that ha- was in that building gave Michael Maiden the building. <laughs> and Michael Maiden brought that guy back that preached against him, built a plaque to honor him, Honored him in front of what was left of his congregation, and they reconciled their relationship after 15 years. So I had just gotten back. Uh, I, I said this happened August 30th. I had just gotten back the week before from the building. See, I mean, first time I had actually preached in his building, this beautiful building, and, and he reiterated the story, which I had kind of forgotten. And I was like, man, this is amazing how God, you know, how God just takes. He just takes crap, and he just uses it to fertilize our dreams, you know? And he just takes saws, and he turns them into paws. And, 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 and I was really impacted uh, by, by his story, it, much better than he, when he tells it, obviously, when I told it. And, and I was laying awake uh, the night before this on t- uh, 29th of August, and I was laying awake, and I was just thinking about, you know, um, how beautiful his story is. And, and as I've got to know him, how, how, how it's impacted him, how he was in the wilderness just wondering what he had done wrong. And, and by the way, the guy who embezzled the money was his best friend in high school. And so, you know, not only was there, a, you know, an offense, but it was a, a broken relationship, a distrust, a, a Judas situation, if you will, brokenhearted. Um, and um, anyway, so the next morning I woke up uh, about 5, And as soon as I woke up, this phrase, I heard this phrase, I heard the Lord speak this phrase to me, give me your ashes. (laughs) I've preached this like six times to our church. You should try to do it four times in a row. four services in a row. First time I wept through the entire service. Bill was bringing me Kleenex. I was wiping my nose on my Levi's. The Lord said to me, give me your ashes. And I was like, what ashes? I don't have any ashes. I'm good. And the Lord said, give me your ashes. I uh, flash back to this um, counseling session I've done years ago. I don't even do counseling anymore. I haven't for 20 years, so that dates how long ago the story is. And I remember this woman. She came to my office, beautiful young woman. I think I think she was like in her 30s. She had four kids, and she came to my office uh, for. And to be honest, I don't remember what, but it was like some seemingly not a big deal. Could you help me with this situation? How would I handle this situation? And uh, when she sat down, I, did, I, hadn't, I ha- didn't know her, and I kind of did a little interview, and I found out that her husband, who they have four kids, right? Her husband, who she'd been married to like only six or seven years, died suddenly in a car accident just two years before. And she's, what she came in for had nothing to do with that. And so she's, you know, she's asking me about how to specifically handle the situation. And, 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 I, and, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, how is this beautiful young woman coping with four kids whose husband died suddenly in a car accident? And, and I thought, I wonder if I should ask her if she's not coming in for that. And finally, I just looked at her, and I said, uh, hey, we'll talk about that in a minute. How, how are you dealing with four little children that you've been having to take care of by yourself, and your husband died suddenly. You had no time to prepare for this. And, uh, and, And I said, you know, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And she just looked at me and broke out in tears. And pretty soon I put my arms around her, and she put her head on my shoulder, and she wept through the entire session. There was no more words. And I realized that this woman was in a situation that she didn't have time to mourn because she had four kids that she had to carry through this situation. Like men, when they lose the warriors, who, soldiers who lose a friend on the battlefield while they're still locked down in battle, they don't have time to mourn their friend because they're still trying to protect. They're still in a, they're still in a firefight. This is often what, PT, what the side effects of PTSD is, I didn't get a chance to mourn because I, just, I had to protect the rest of the troop. And therefore, I didn't enter the process of mourning that blessed are those who mourn, who, are comfort, who become comforted. And therefore, I, they're carrying the toxicness of grief that never happened, that should have happened, but didn't happen. So I remembered that counseling session with that lady when Jesus said to me, give me your ashes. And I s- started to see something in my life. For the last couple of years, especially the last year, I've been processing, retiring externally with my team. And I you know I don't need the money. And the last couple three years have been ridiculously hard. And furthermore, I didn't realize it till that morning, but I found a lot of peace in the idea of retiring. Because it's it's a way to stop the pain. I'm gonna retire. And I don't have to feel any more pain. I don't know if that's true. I'm just pointing out that sometimes <laughs> we create a little fantasy that this is the way it's going to be, right? And I had just come off a of vacation, sort of. Like two weeks of sort of vacation. You know, it's hard to be on vacation when all of these crazy things are happening. So my team still accessed me five times in 14 days, but... I was sort of on vacation. But while I was on vacation, it's the first time I've, like, huh, took a breath. We have a little farm. I drove up to the farm almost every day, just sat in the woods and thought, could I do this? Could I unplug for good and just do this? And some days I would be like, this is amazing. I could do this the rest of my life. Sit in the woods, listen to the birds. Worst problem is they crap on my windshield. This is, (laughs) I could live like this. And then other days I'd be like, I would be so bored chasing birds off my windshield. But what was really revelatory to me, for me, for myself, was that I was trying to figure out how to get out of the pain. And the fantasy, whether it was right or wrong, the fantasy of retiring is the way I could take a deep breath for the day and say, if this just got too bad, I could just retire. And and I began to, but now I'm back to that morning where the Lord says, give me your ashes. And for the first time, I began to think about the ashes. You know, several years ago, a few years ago, Kathy was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Now, let me tell you, she's good. She she like, you know, she went hunting three weeks ago and shot a bear with a bow. Seriously, shot a bear with a bow. (laughs) Yeah, she she hunts. I don't hunt. Last year, she shot an elk at 574 yards with one shot. Yeah, she's, she's a bad woman. <laughs> Someone breaks into our house, I wake her, I'm like, go check that out. <laughs> Call the police. She, she has horses and she has a bass boat. I bought a bass boat for her. I don't fish. I've been on the bass boat twice. She fishes and hunts and rides horses. Yeah. I don't do any of that. I actually, I think what happened is I'm, I'm a woman in a man's body, and I think she's a man in a woman's body. I think we're going to re-identify and stay married. It's going to be a whole other thing. Sorry, I just had to say that. It's only funny in California. <laughs> Ashes. Ashes. You know, obviously you guys know this really well. COVID-19 was a, was hell. Um, our students, we, we had 2,600 students, and six weeks before they graduated, our governor decided to that we couldn't meet in a building. We had to meet online, but we didn't have an online platform. And so... You know, our team scratched together an online platform. We literally had five days. This is Monday. Our governor announced it on Monday. And by, and by Friday, we had to have some kind of online program. And their graduation was driving through the parking lot and getting handed. A, yeah, which was really difficult for me. It's one thing when you come from knowing that. It's another thing when it happens in, in, the, in the middle of some of those students had been with us three years and we handed them in a car. And you know they were from seventy-two nations, and our school went from twenty-six hundred students to thousand to sixteen hundred students the next year. And um, just for you guys, just, just so you kind of get like I'm oversee all finance, and that's five point five million dollar difference in one in in three months. I don't know how you navigate that. Shut down all of our events, all of our services. It was hard. Then I gave this beautiful Donald Trump word, (laughs) just to make sure we keep the activity going. (laughs) Turned out not to be accurate. And then after that, I mean, in the midst of all of that, while all that was going on, we had the racial justice, uh, you know, situation. And uh, we had 37 of our staff were black, are black. They didn't change to white, they were still black. (laughs) They're identifying as black also. I just want you to know that. I'm sorry. I got to get off of that. I'm going to get killed for that statement. (laughs) Just trying to be funny. But some of them could not leave their homes. They were so traumatized. They could not leave their homes. And they began to do what we all do in pain. You know, began to operate out of a lot of pain. And we had... They started saying, you know, Chris is racist, Bill's a racist. These are people we love. These are staff members and students. And so we started having meetings with them. I did. A um, couple, of, couple of us met with them six times. First couple times, people standing in the room screaming at me that I'm a racist. I'm like, staff members, not easy. This is while we're still in COVID. This is with everything else going on, trying to solve a $20 million problem. All of it's like stacking up. It's like not like you finished one and then you were off to another. Like these were layering on top of one another. We hadn't solved any of these things yet. And then um, Eric and Candace came into a meeting, and I, I guess Bill knew about it ahead of time, but, and they resigned and they told us they were planting their own church and obviously taking several of our staff with us, with them. And uh, two days before they left, Benny was diagnosed with fourth-stage cancer. And, And, of course, you know we lost her a couple of months ago. Ashes. I mean, not just that, but we're building a $100 million building just in case there wasn't like enough to do. We decided to build a $100 million building, of which we've raised $40, 000, 40 million of it, and we're out there with tractors working. And, and the Lord said to me, Give me your ashes. Give them to me. So that morning I laid in my bed and realized that I've spent the last two years reacting, building a fantasy dream about things the Lord had never talked to me about, figuring a way to get out when the Lord said stay in. Do you know I've had over 30 words in the last year where people I haven't seen in years, like Larry Randolph, I haven't spoke to. Larry gets up in the middle of the night and says, hey, this sounds strange. I you know, we haven't talked for a long time. Sure love you. Hey, the Lord says, keep going forward. Don't back up. He's anointed you. Stay in the fight. That, that's just one of probably over 30 words that I've got in the last and i'm like i'm going to retire and the lord's like yeah no you're not <laughs> and and i'm you know and and that morning i felt i don't know i'm sorry i'm not being very articulate this morning i just trying to tell you something from my heart i you know i felt that morning the lord say you are viewing your life through your ashes and i need you to give me these ashes, because your life has become a reaction to your pain that you haven't had time to look at, but is toxic. You have toxic things going on in you, but like that woman who didn't have time to mourn because she had kids, you have this movement on your back, and I'm not the only one, by the way, but you have this movement on your back, and you're carrying this movement through this battlefield, and you haven't stopped to say, how come I'm hurting? And the Lord said, I make beautiful things out of ashes. I don't make beautiful things out of nothing, though. I make them out of ashes. But I, only, I can't make them out of yours if you don't give them to me. And I'll give you the scripture. I'm sure you already figured it out. Isaiah sixty one, which is by the way, I got this scripture the year I got saved, and the Lord said, "This will be, this will be your life story." So I'll, I have it memorized, but I'll just read it to you. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, the, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord the day of vengeance of our God, and to grant all those who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness, that they might be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I have more to say, but I feel like the Holy Spirit's tugging on some of your hearts. Like, I didn't come here to tell you my story. I came here as a prophet to say, a whole bunch of you have the same story. You're walking around with ashes. You're leading a life of fantasy, something you haven't even talked to the Lord about, to give yourself comfort that isn't him. I, uh, sometimes I like to, when, if someone else is preaching on Sunday, sometimes I like to walk around the congregation during worship and just touch people and pray for them. I try not to be intrusive in any way, but I just walk around through the aisles because we have so many people, you know, I average Sunday six or 7,000 people. But I love people, but we don't actually get to even touch people. So sometimes I just like to walk around the congregation Good morning, just, Hey, good to see you touching them. Well, I was doing that on a Sunday morning. This is about seven or eight years ago, maybe longer. And I was walking along among the congregation and I was just touching people who were on the end, end seats on their shoulder. Good morning. God bless you. And, uh, and there, was a, there was a gal in our church, her and her husband. They've been there forever before Bill and I got there. They, they're older people and they've been pillars in the church forever. I don't really know them just by name and the fact that they're, you know, you always see them sit in the same seat. They get there early. You know, they're just, they're just like quality people. And I, I walked over, and as I was walking through on down the aisles, I touched this lady, and immediately I had this overwhelming sense I want to kill myself. And I'm like, well, that's really weird. You know, I'm actually doing better than that today. And uh, it really startled me. Like, I wasn't expecting it. And by the way, I wasn't doing, like, prophetic discernment. I was just encouraging people, just blessing them. And, and so I, I passed her up, and, and, and then I was blessing a few more people, but couldn't get out of my mind how odd that was. Like, it was, seemed immediate, and it seemed localized. So I thought, well, I'll just make another pass and come back and see if I have the same experience with the same person. So I just kind of went around again and tried to not be super awkward. And and came back, and I was just blessing the person behind her. Everything was good. And and I touched her, and immediately I had this overwhelming sense I wanted to kill myself. And was so awkward because of who she is. It was so awkward. Like, I don't know her well, but she has a reputation, her and her husband, for being super stable, several kids, been here forever. And so I'm like, wow, what do I do with this? This is so weird, so awkward, and the time is so awkward. So I, I just leaned over to her and I said, How are you doing? And instead of saying the normal fine, she said, What do you mean? What do you mean? She whispered, What do you mean? It sort of startled me that she didn't say fine. And I said, Well, <laughs> <laughs> well when I touched you, you know, when I, when I put my hand on you, I had this overwhelming sense that you wanted to kill yourself was super awkward. And she broke out in tears and started crying uncontrollably. And her husband, of course, this is all whispered, right? Her husband looks over at me like, I don't know what you're doing, but this better turn out freaking good, or you and I are going to go outside and have a conversation about this. And so she is, I won't say she's wailing, but she is, she is weeping. And so I, I, I'm I kind of like, oh, gosh, I didn't know that was going to happen. So I said to her, let's pray. So she said, all right. So I put my hand on her, I prayed for her. And I, then I whispered to her, like, how long has this been going on? And she said, for six months. For six months, every day, every waking minute, I have this overwhelming sense I'm supposed to kill myself. So, okay, well, let's pray some more. So we prayed. I said, did something happen to you? Six months ago, where something got so bad, you just said to yourself, if this gets any worse, I could kill myself and be out of this pain. She looked at me. She said, that's absolutely what happened. I said, really? She told me this story about her grandson, who she's really attached to, who ended up in this huge mess. And she said, and the pain's been so great. I just said, if this gets any worse, I could just take my life. And I said, you made a deal with Satan when you did that. She looks at me, Satan? I said, no, I, I mean, not on purpose, but instead of reaching out to the Prince of Peace, you said to the Prince of Darkness, come and take my life so I can have peace. And you need to break your covenant with him. And she's like, I'll break it right now, you know. <laughs> so she prayed a simple prayer about breaking covenant and asking Jesus to forgive her for not trusting him. And I prayed for her deliverance. Nothing happened. It was like there was no manifestation. She thanked me. I walked away. The next Sunday, you can imagine, I was like looking for her to come in. And uh, I I went right back to her seat as soon as I saw her. And she looked at me and put her arms around me and said, it's gone. And I checked on her for the next few weeks, and it was gone. Uh, Why do I tell you that story? Because sometimes... When we have ashes, we begin to live out of the ashes and we begin to try to find ways to exit the pain that are not the ways the Lord wants us to exit pain and not the way he wants to take care of our pain. And if you're in the room this morning, and I have some more to say, but and you have ashes, I just want you to stand up because I want to pray for you. Like you don't, you, don't have, you don't need me to explain it to you. Holy Spirit would be talking to you already. I, I would encourage you to stand up though. You're like, I don't want anybody to know this like, please give me a break. All of us have had these circumstances in our lives. There's not a person in this room that wouldn't stand up in some season if they were being honest. And I just feel like I'm supposed to pray for you the way the Lord just met me and said, give me your ashes. I shared this with my team immediately the next day. In fact, when I told the congregation I wasn't retiring, they started yelling before I could finish my message. Then I said, instead, I'm quitting. i <laughs> just joking. I just want you to put your hands out right here and just say, Lord, I give you my ashes. And Lord, I thank you that you know how to make beautiful things out of terrible seasons. So I just give you these things right now. And I pray that you would make beauty out of these ashes that you would restore my soul, restore the soul of everyone around me who's experienced these same ashes. And Lord, I look forward to what you'll do with this that I've given you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can sit down. good word actually you know Romans eight twenty eight says we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes know that God causes help me what does he cause all things God causes all things to work together for good He doesn't cause good things to work together for good. He causes all things to work together for good. For those who love God and call according to his purpose. Ephesians chapter uh, 2 verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Let me just take it piece by piece. For we are his workmanship. You've probably heard this. The word workmanship in the Greek is poema. We get our word poem from it. We are the poem he is writing created for Christ, in Christ Jesus for good works, here's the important part for us this morning, which God prepared beforehand, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. And what I'm getting at is this, in Ephesians 1, it says that we were chosen in him from the foundation of the world. And I've probably shared this here before, but I think in light of what I'm sharing, what I'm realizing this is that before God created the work, the worker, he created the work. He specifically created the work before he created the worker. So it's a little bit metaphoric. Follow me for a minute. He didn't make you a sports car and give you a dump truck responsibility. Are you with me? He, he, didn't, he didn't make you a sports car and then assign your destiny to be something that you had to have a 16-wheeler to fulfill. <laughs> I'm pointing out that he actually created the work and then he goes, okay, what does the worker need to, what's the gift mix, the call, the personality, the, the, the destiny, even the authenticity? what is the, what does the worker need to look like to be successful at this work, right? And then he created the worker so that they could be successful in the work that he provided the work before he made the worker. Are you with me? In other words, I always looked at, li- looked at it like this. He created me, and then he gave me a purpose. No, he actually created the purpose, and then he made me for the purpose. For example, Jeremiah chapter 1, you, you know, prophets in the Old Testament didn't have the greatest life. And God was said to Jeremiah, I've called you to be a prophet to the nations, and, Jer- and to raise up and to tear down, to build and to destroy. And Jeremiah says to God, I'm not a prophet. I'm not good at this. And God says, you know, these are famous words, been repeated many times. How can you not be a prophet? Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. And before you were, before you were conceived, I called you to be a prophet to the nations. In other words, God's saying, Jeremiah's saying, I have no gifts for this. And God says, how could that be? Before, I, before you were formed in the womb, I already knew you. He's not just saying like, yeah, I knew you were Jeremiah. He's like, I knew who you were and I created the purpose before I created you. So how could you not be a prophet? And God's you know, frustrated with him. And then God gives him a little exercise just to encourage him. He says, look out the window and tell you what you see. And he says, I see an almond branch. And God goes, see, you're a prophet. (laughs) Because the word almond and the word see are synonymous. He said, I see an almond branch. And God goes, see, you see. See, you can see. Another word for almond in Hebrew is watch. The word almond and watch are directly related. And God's like, see, you watch. Jeremiah's like, I'm not a prophet. God goes, see, you watch. See, you can see. (laughs) I'm just pointing out that God uses all things for good. He doesn't cause all things, but he works all things out for good. I want to tell you a story. You probably know my story. But, but when I was, Kathy and I got married uh, when I was 20. I had a nervous breakdown when I was 22. It lasted three and a half years. I've shared that story here so many times. But because I had a nervous breakdown and we were work, living in the Bay Area and I was managing a repair shop with 13 guys working for me. I'd never managed people before. I, I, I you know, I had no education and I had a serious bad nervous breakdown. And so because of that, we had, um, the year before, we had went to a little town called, well, we- Lewiston, actually, next to Weaverville. you've heard of Weaverville, uh, 15 miles from Weaverville, this little town, 900 people called Lewiston. and, and went again, here's my little ash, ashes story, right? Because I'm in a nervous breakdown. I'm go to work every day, but I am so tormented. And we were in traffic, and it's the Bay Area, and everything's moving fast, and I have all this responsibility. And so I, I said to Kathy, I, I, after about a year and a half, I, I, we got to get out of here. Like, I have to figure out where I can get well. And so anyway, that's a longer story, but we moved to Lewiston, 900 people in the whole town. And from San Jose to Lewiston, and a year later, we end up in a well, we end up in a little church, going to a little church like three months later, and a year later, this hippie pastor ends up being our pastor, Bill Johnson, with his flower child wife. They become our best friends. I'm still in a nervous breakdown for another year and a half. Bill doesn't have any idea, you know, he's never seen me normal, so he doesn't know this isn't my norm. I'll kind of fast forward because I'm trying to make a point. And then Bill goes to, you know, this is a long story, but we become best friends. We're together in 17 years. We're probably, for 14 of those years, we're probably in each other's house four or five days a week. And we do everything together, we're inseparable. I travel with Bill when he's traveling. Our kids date each other. We thought we were going to be Johnsons, but to no avail. And, um, and then Bill obviously comes to uh, Bethel, and two years later, he invites us to come to Bethel and we, to start the school of ministry. We have, at the time, we have uh, four businesses, and we sell our business, and we come to Bethel. We, uh, uh, the, the escrow was forever. That's another story for another time. The escrow was forever, 18 months. It goes on so long, we have to get to Bethel so we can start the school. So we let our managers manage this, the auto parts stores we sold. And we come to Bethel, and we're there one month, and the company that bought us went bankrupt. And so instead of having about $200,000 to live on for two or three years while we build the school ministry, we now owe $1.8 million. So not only do we not have money to live on, we actually owe $1.8 million. $1.8 million. And so obviously we 're going to leave. We, we, like there 's oh by the way i didn 't tell you this part Buffalo didn 't agree we agreed to not take a salary for the first year and then when, and then, as soon as we, uh, the school ministry was going, we took a thousand dollars each, so we each made a thousand dollars, and we lived in a little apartment because that 's all we could afford for two thousand dollars and then obviously, obviously it gets worse than that, and so we go see. The, I, I went to see Bill, and I said, we, we have to go. We're going to go bankrupt. I'm not going to be able to stand in front of a congregation when we owe people in the congregation. We, this is terrible. And so we're, we need to leave and go back to the business world so we can make enough money to pay all this debt off. We had lost our house. We lost our house. We lost everything but our two cars and our furniture. And, so, and I said to Bill, I, I need to tell the board. So that Tuesday night, went to see the board, I told him the whole story. This you're getting not the story. I, I gave him a whole story, a 30 minutes long story of how this all how it all happened, and said, you know, we get oh one point eight million dollars. We need to go back into the world business world. We're we're gonna bankrupt. I can't be a pastor and bankrupt. And one of the elders, a really quiet guy, stands up and he said, Hey, I don't want you to leave. Um I believe God's gonna do a miracle. Would you not bankrupt for six months? And would you, and would you just trust me? Trust no, he said, Would you trust the Lord? And I said, I have no faith for that. And he said, I do. And I said, Well, what's six months? I said, All right, we won't bankrupt. And he said, and he said, Not only that, but when families in trouble, they don't leave, they get closer. What he said. So, you know, I'd already told Kathy I was going to go tell the board we're we're leaving. So anyway, I said, okay, we'll trust you. I'll trust your faith because I have no faith for this. I said to him, I have no faith for this. And he said, fine, trust my faith. So we trust his faith. And two months later, we were forgiven 900,000 of it. And the the, the longer story is over three years, it was all paid off or forgotten. I mean forgiven. So we got completely out of debt in three years. But... Here, here's the big point. If I didn't have a nervous breakdown, we wouldn't have went to Weaverville. If I didn't go to Weirville, I wouldn't have met Bill Johnson. If I didn't meet Bill Johnson, I wouldn't have gone to Bethel. And if I wouldn't have gone to Bethel, I wouldn't have started school ministry with a bunch of other help. And if I didn't do that, nobody would know who I am. I'd still be selling auto parts and fixing cars. And it all started because I had a nervous breakdown. And what I'm getting at is God doesn't take good things work out for him. He takes all things. And what I'm getting at is if I didn't have a nervous breakdown, which God did not cause, I would have never met Bill Johnson. I wouldn't be speaking to you. You wouldn't know who I am, and I would never have been in this church had I not had a nervous breakdown. But God knows how to take my ashes and make something beautiful. Are you with me? And the I'm supposed to be, okay, I'm just making sure. Joseph, in the Old Testament, has a dream. He's going to be a ruler. You know the dream. Mistake is, he tells his brothers, right, who are already jealous of him. Like this is a typical dysfunctional family, right? And I I, I want to, I feel like I'm supposed to say this. I woke up with this thought, which I don't know who this is for, but it's another all things. Do you know that is, the nation of Israel started with Jacob, right, who wants to marry Rachel but ends up with Leah? And then he gets Rachel on the side and then Rachel can't have kids so, they, so he ends up with two wives in whom he only loves one and two mistresses who, are, who he's actually having kids with outside of covenant. Are you with me? And they don't even like each other and out of 12 sons and one daughter, 13 kids he has, God goes, I can make a nation out of that. And some of you are like, I was married and divorced, and God can't use me anymore. I'm like, you're kidding me. You freaking used Jacob, <laughs> changed his name to Israel, had an account with God, brings about children, completely dysfunctional family, completely dysfunctional family, their whole life, they don't get along, their wives don't get along, the mistresses hate each other. And God goes, that's a great start for a nation. And I'm just pointing out that God uses all things, and you're like, Oh, you don't know my story. Yeah, but I know my story. And I know I know stories in the Bible where God blesses a nation. God's like, This is a nation I love. I'm like, Lord, have you noticed things behind the scenes aren't so aren't so cool? Not so good, Lord. And Lord's all, I use all things together for good. And do you remember that God has an encounter with Abraham? And God says to Abraham, You're going to be the father, your name was, his name was Abram. Your name is going to be changed to Abraham. I'm changing your name to Abraham, but Abraham means the father of nations from this day forward, because you are going to be the father of nations. And then he says to Sarah, Sarai, your name shall be Sarah, for you shall be a mother of many nations. Okay, fast forward with me, right? So then, so then Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons, right? One of them's named Joseph. Are you with me? Jacob loves Joseph. He favors him. He makes him a multicolored coat. Follow me. He makes Joseph a multicolored coat. And he favors him. And his brothers hate him. And the more his brothers hate him, the more his father seems to favor him, which creates a very dysfunctional ecosystem to the point where they all want to kill him. And then Jacob has a dream. And Jacob is like, I don't know, dude, what are you thinking? Jacob has a dream about his brothers bowing down to him. At the time, he's the youngest brother, right? He's, ele- he's 11th brother. Eventually, there's a 12th. But he's 11th, and what's the first thing he freaking does? He comes out of the bedroom and tells his brothers. Had a dream last night. Want to hear about it? <laughs> Like, this is a typical sibling rivalry, right? Ha, oh, na, no, na, no, na, no, na. God told me I'm going to rule you guys. And his dad's like, you know, shut up and stop behaving like that. And then he has another dream, and he comes out the next day and goes, Hey, I had a dream about you, dad. You guys are bound down to me, too. And it says his brothers hated him all the more, right? They hated him all the more. And so one day they're out all the time. 11 brothers, and they're, I don't know what they're doing in the field, and they start talking because Joe is so arrogant, he's hard to be around. Like, right, this may, may make a really good point here. He's called by God, but he's super arrogant. Like, this is not the guy that you and I would even want to be in charge of anyone because he's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm anointed. You guys aren't. Ha ha. <laughs> and he's just antagonizing his brothers And so they just get so fed up with him that they go, let's kill him. And they make this plot to kill him, right? And they throw him in a pit. And then Reuben, the oldest, goes, "Ah, we can't really kill him. And then they see uh, some Egyptian slave traders. They go, hey, let's make some money on him. Let's sell him. Oh, that's a better deal. Well, how are we going to, what are we going to say to our father? oh, I got an idea. So they take this coat, a this coat, they kill an animal, and they put blood all over it. And they sent to their father, and they send Joe into slavery. Right? Not going good. But what they don't understand is what's actually happening in the third heaven. <laughs> because Abraham had an encounter with God in which God said to him, you're going to be the Father, not of Israel, of many nations, Joseph has a dream about fathering nations, but what he doesn 't know is that Jacob knows that there's something on Joe, and that 's why he makes him a multicolored coat it 's a prophetic declaration that he is covered with an anointing for nations, and what does he need to be anointed for nations? The blood. So his brothers put the coat in blood, not understanding that they just anointed the very one that they despise. Are you with me? They don't know. They just anointed him to be the leader of nations in which they despise. Joe goes to, you know the story, he becomes a slave to Potiphar, the right hand of uh, Pharaoh, and he serves there. And then he gets accused, falsely accused, of rape. Are you with me? He's falsely accused of rape. And that means he has to go to prison. And so he, gets, he goes to a blue-collar prison, right? It's a blue-collar prison where the king sends all the people who've defied the king. So this is like, like not a normal prison. This is a prison where all these prisoners are all people who've defied the king. And he's in prison, but the Bible says, but the favor of the Lord was on him, and he was a su- successful man. And what happens? Except for the king sends two guys to prison, the baker and the cupbearer. And they have dreams. <laughs> and what's the one thing Joe does know how to do? Interpret dreams. He interprets the dream for the cupbearer and, uh, cup and the baker, right? He says to the cupbearer, you're going to be restored and to the baker. You're going to die. And then he says to the cupbearer, hey, when you get restored, remember me. (laughs) Remember my great ministry. He goes, you know what happens? They Immediately, it happens, just as he said. The king calls them in, judges the baker, kills him, restores the cupbearer, and the cupbearer totally forgets Joseph. Until Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh has a dream of fat calves and skinny calves. You know, I'm just making this short so I can finish on time. The cupbearer, I'm sorry, Pharaoh has a dream. Now, think about this. Pharaoh doesn't know God. Pharaoh's a polytheist, meaning he believes in multiple gods. But he has a dream, and he is so convinced that the dream has something to do about his future that he is obsessed with the interpretation of the dream. Follow me. God just spoke to a man who, he doesn't, who who the man doesn't know God. But God has a way of saying it in a way that you know that this is divine, even though you don't know the God who gave it to you. I'd like to point out that Nebuchadnezzar had the same experience, right? He has a dream, and he's willing to kill all the wise men to figure out what the heck this dream means. And he's also a polytheist. believes in multiple gods. So the king, I'm, I'm sorry, now we're back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's obsessed. He's like, got to find the dream, got to understand the dream. What's going on with the dream? Got to have a dream. And he's like, he's just like, he's OCDing over, I got to figure out what this dream means. And the cupbearer remembers. Oh, a couple of years ago, <laughs> met a dream guy. Had this dream class <laughs> in prison. It's totally accurate. And the king's like, get him for me. Joseph shaves, inter- interprets the dream, and you know the rest of that story. He comes the right hand to Pharaoh, and as a matter of fact, it goes on to say uh, in the 45th chapter, verse 8, Joseph is now talking to his brothers who he reveals himself to. And he says, I have become a father to Pharaoh. You need to come into the nation. For I have become a father to Pharaoh. Let me just close the loop for you. Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. Who was the first person to ever fulfill that? It was Joseph. How did Joseph get there? through a ton of hell. If Joseph's brothers weren't jealous of him, they would have never sold him. If he didn't get sold into slavery, he would have never met Pharaoh. If he didn't specifically offend an official of the king, he wouldn't have been in the king's jail. If he wasn't in the king's jail, he wouldn't have met the cupbearer. If he didn't meet the cupbearer, he wouldn't have interpreted his dream. And if he didn't interpret his dream, he wouldn't have an opportunity to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And what I'm getting at is that God uses all things. And what I'm getting at right now is you might be in prison. Your story may be, I'm in prison, I don't get this. You may be falsely accused and going, what's going on? How is this happening? And yet what you don't understand is that you're on this journey to fulfill your destiny. And God goes, no, you don't understand all things. God, I have nurse breakdown. God, I don't understand this. I'm married one year. What's happened to me? I'm losing my mind. Demons are visiting me. God's has I got all this worked out. But Lord, you don't understand. No, you don't understand. You don't understand. You got to get desperate enough to end up in a little town. Listen, you got to get desperate enough to end up in this little town. Because I already have been working with this other guy. And he's got to get desperate enough to go to this little town and be a pastor of a little church. So his desperation and your desperation are going to meet. And Pharaoh has a dream. How many know that if Pharaoh didn't have a dream, how many know Joseph would have died in prison? But how many know that if Joseph didn't have a dream, Pharaoh would have died in a famine? And what I'm getting at is that God (laughs) God is taking our dreams. You have a dream, but how many know your dream is not, is standing alone, isn't going to work. Like your dysfunction by itself doesn't work. It's like it takes your dysfunction and someone else's dysfunction. Like Bill's story is, I was, de- this is Bill's story. I was depressed 17 years in Weaverville until the renewal. I was depressed. I'm like, oh, I had a nervous breakdown. He takes two dysfunctional people, puts them together, goes, there you go. Here, start a movement. And you're over here totally dysfunctional. It's like you think, I got to find a healthy person. Well, maybe you need to find someone else that has, has worse dysfunction than you have and build a ministry. <laughs> I'm being partly funny. I'm just pointing out that God uses all things, and you might be in the midst of your all, and you think, oh, God uses all good things. I'm said, no, He uses all things. He uses all things. And I can tell you a story about my son's divorce and his remarriage, and I could go on and on. That Stuff happens in our family. I say stuff because this is, we're, we're preaching right now. We have to say stuff happens. But it's smelly stuff. You with me? And, like, you might be in the middle of stuff, and you're like, it doesn't make sense to you because you can't see the end from the Right? You're looking at it past-present, and God's looking at it future-present, he goes, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be amazing. And by the way, when you get there, everybody's going to know that I was involved because you screwed up all along the way, and you still got there. And by the way, by the time Joseph gets to the palace, by the time he gets there, He's the man he needs to be. He's humble. He's kind. He's wise. He had none of that crap going on when he was a kid. He was arrogant. He was boastful. He was everything you wouldn't want in a leader. But how many know that between the promise and the palace, there's the process? And sometimes you need, you don't want it, I don't want it, but sometimes you need the process so you can even stay in the palace. When I was leading in the, when I had a nurse breakdown, before that I told you I had 13 guys, I loved firing people. I got the job at 18, I can't even tell you how many times I fired people. I just, I lo- I was, I was a tyrant. I pressed those, young, I pressed those men. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I didn't know how to lead men, so I led them the way my stepfathers led me. I led them in fear of their jobs. And I went from there to a nervous breakdown, led some more crappy ways Pretty soon, what I'm getting at is the Lord wants a a leader of a movement, but he needs a leader who actually has some humility, actually has some skills, actually knows how to inspire people from the inside out, how to actually leave them in a kingdom way. And I'm saying along the nervous breakdown path, there's some things happen when you get desperate. I'd like to propose that desperate people change the world. Amen. I wrote this down during worship. I wanted to have a climax for this, to this, because I wrote it down. History belongs to the desperate. John the Baptist was out of style and totally relevant. His clothes were detestable. His diet was impalatable. His message indigestible, yet his impact on history undeniable. The son of a preacher, conceived by a miracle, announced by an angel, anointed by the king, filled with the spirit, and hated by the world. I'm saying, you might like, I'm never going to change history. You You have no idea what my my background is. I came from a dysfunctional family. I I, I created the dysfunctional family. (laughs) And God's like, you have no idea what I can do with your ashes. You have no idea what I can do with your humility. You have no idea what I can do with an untalented, ugly person who can't sing and can't preach. You have no idea what I can do with you. Stop telling me you're going to retire. It's a metaphor now. Stop telling me you're going to get off this train. You ain't getting off this train till I'm done with you on this train. Stop telling me you're going to quit Pharaoh. Stop telling me you're going to leave Potiphar i got a plan how you're going to leave. And it's going to turn into promotion. Stop telling me you're going to get out of this prison. You're going to get out when I tell you you're going to get out, and you're going to get out the way I say you're going to get out. You are not your own person. You are a slave to me, and you will behave as such. This is a message that we all need. I don't know what your problem is, but if you don't have one, you don't have a purpose. I'm so sick of Christians who are so plastic. How you doing, bro? Oh, I'm doing everything's great. Everything's great. You're not doing anything if everything's great. You're not responsible. I mean, you might be doing great, but if you love people, then you mourn with those who mourn. It's like if you have enough people around you, you always have a problem. You know, there's, there's 10,000 people in our church. How are you doing? I don't know. How are they doing? Every week they're in a crisis. And my job is to love them in their crisis. It's yours too. One of the signs of love, right? Suffers long. So, I mean, we are in this process that I may be having a wonderful year personally, but I am connected to a body. I might be the nose and I'm I'm good, everything smells great, but I'm connected to the toe. And if the toe's infected, I still feel the pain of the rest of the body. And this is our plight. This is our job. This is who we are. We were born to be more than conquerors, which means we're supposed to have things to conquer. So I'm going to pray for you all. Why don't you stand up again? You're like, you already prayed for us once. I'm praying for you again. I want to challenge you. You got stuff going on? I wonder if the Lord's in the middle of it. No, I want to be clear. You may have stuff going on that need to, it needs to end. Right? Let me be clear. Like, Just because it's bad doesn't mean the Lord wants to use that. I'm saying he will use it, but it doesn't mean he designed it. And if you're causing it, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't repent. Like, I'm going to keep doing my stupid things so I can get to my palace. It's like, Joseph learned the hard way that his arrogance was killing him. And I'd like to suggest that the Lord would have designed a different way for Joe to get to the palace had he had been humble. Let me say that one more time. I would propose that the Lord designed the way to the palace for Joe, because of Joe's arrogance. And Joe could have got there another way by God, had he'd been humble. But God goes, you're the right person with the wrong attitude, I know how to change that. And so he took the long way to the palace. And thankfully, he got there. And so, oftentimes we are delaying the fulfillment of God's divine destiny because we refuse to repent or change our attitude or humble ourselves <laughs> or be kind or forgive someone. You get the idea. This doesn't, this doesn't mean we shouldn't do our part. It just means that the Lord has it worked out so that it will work for good in your end. So Lord, I thank you for these beautiful people. I pray your blessing on them. And I pray that you would give them a vision as Joe had, Lord, I thank you that Joseph knew, in the midst of all of it, that it was going to work out for good. And I pray that everybody here would have a vision that gives their pain a purpose. Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to me.
2: Yeah, you can have a seat real quick. Chris and Kathy, thank you. We receive this word and we, we apply it. We, this is what we needed. And now we get to live it out. Uh, we want to take a moment to be able to give you an opportunity to sow into them and their family, their ministry. Um, you can make checks out to the mission. Uh, if you can mark it, guest speaker or Chris, so that we make sure we can get that to them. Um, there's giving stations. If you put it in the giving stations, please mark it so we know where it to go, or you can come give it up into the war chest. Um, but let's honor them with our, our generosity this morning, as they have poured out yesterday and today into us and invested in us this weekend. But not only this weekend, they've been investing in us for years. So this is our opportunity to invest back in them. So, again, why don't you stand with me? It's the last time of the morning. So, Jesus, we receive this word. We receive it from the prophet. And we apply it to our lives. Teach us how to live this out. And we give out of our generosity this morning to them. And we ask that you bless the valentins and their family and their ministry. That the windows of heaven would be open to them and pour out. And today we give our finances to bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. If I could have the ministry team come on up. So you are free to give in the giving stations or online. Or up here, if you need prayer this morning, the ministry team will be up here to pray with you. Love you. Have an amazing week. Enjoy the awesome weather today. And we'll see you next Sunday. Don't miss it.